to X-Rated Movies. I'm one half of your hosting team, Matthew Fisher. And the other half of your hosting team, Ryan Whedon. And this is the week before Christmas? That sounds about right. Are you a tree man, Ryan? Do you still get a tree? Do you put presents um, under it? I did last year. Yeah? Usually our, our tradition is to go out the day after Thanksgiving and fucking buy one put it up right away. And did you do that this year? No. Oh. I know. Why? Uh, I don't know. I just didn't feel like it this year. Hmm. So we haven't gotten one yet. Could still happen. I mean, we've still got a week. Yeah. Don't rush me. <laughs> I haven't done a real tree in a long time. Why is that? Well, one, I don't have a car. And even the car that I did have, it wasn't really a tree hauling car. Your Kia Rios aren't they're the biggest of, of motor vehicles. That's not a there. selling point. Yeah, no. no. There's no Kia salesman who's like, yeah, you can haul home any variety of Christmas tree in this one. No. Why don't you just get one of the little, like, short stubby ones from the QFC? That's the Charlie Browners? Because they're still, like, $40. <laughs> You're not willing to pay that? for? I can get a real tree for, like, 80 Why would you put a price on Christmas cheer? <laughs> I got Christmas lights up in my home. Do you, I'm do halfway you, to cheerful. Scrooge. Scrooge over here. You're not even getting a tree. I still have a week to get a tree. Yeah, I don't know. Also, like, and I know that, like, every household does this. I don't have to, like, find a spot for a tree. Like, I look around my home. I'm like, where could it already fit without me having to move anything? Right over there. I'd have to move something. Just put it in front of that stuff. (laughs) Just my my lovely Christmas tree in front of my seasonal air conditioning wrap the air conditioner in a wrapping paper and put a bow on it and pretend like it's a present (laughs) you're done i don't know well do you have any ornaments or lights i don't know that's another thing you'd have to get yeah well i used to get a fake tree from my grandmother and it actually looked quite nice and i'd borrow like the old heirloom uh tomato (laughs) yeah decorations oh and use those and it was always nice, to, you know, to have it at Christmas and stuff like that. Yeah. But heirloom tomatoes look nice. <laughs> but you know, since moving from from that location to here, I just like mm, not feeling it. Yeah. But you know, I could always put a nice garland on the toilet here in the living room, and uh... <laughs> that'll be nice. And then when you flush, it plays like Christmas tunes. <laughs> put put a reef right over the opening. <laughs> Ooh, ooh. On the toilet paper roll, it's just like garland wound yeah. up, and you just wipe with that as you pull. Yeah. Festive. Uh, fast. Uh, are you a nog man? Do you nog? You know, I used to nog quite a bit, mm-hmm. but I kind of lost the stomach for it. I enjoy a good uh, uh, rummy nog, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. at a Christmas party of some sort. But no, I don't, I don't keep nog around the house no. at all. See, I'm a bourbon. I'm a bourbon nog. Bourbon man. Mm-hmm. Bur- B-nog. Yeah. Get me get me that jack in my nog. I'll have a jack and nog, please. Yeah. yeah that's I, a drink I can I'm get I'm sure behind. that's what they order at Pony frequently. <laughs> we get nog on the gun for December. So. <laughs> like a nog and tonic. It's just... <laughs> yeah. We go through it pretty fast. Man. You'd be surprised. Cleaning that nozzle must be a bitch. Yeah, we just run the. What's soda your keg of nog look like? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. It actually looks like a really giant Fabergé egg. <laughs> it would, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, but it's actually um, made out of uh, 
flexible plastic. So as the the nog goes down, the egg sort of wilts. <laughs> okay, shrivels. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like you you start out with this great big grape of a keg, and it turns into a raisin. Yes, as time exactly. goes on. That's how you know it's done. A sad, depleted nog raisin. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the name of my new band, by the way. <laughs> Nog Raisin. And whoever finishes it gets to keep it and wear it as a hat. <laughs> Have you ever been kissed under mistletoe? Mm, I don't think so, actually. Yeah, I'm, I don't think I've ever been to a party that actually had mistletoe. Yeah. I also feel like it's just asking for trouble. I mean, like, these days. Someone's just going to like hang out under the mistletoe. And, like, wait for someone to walk by. Yeah. That seems like uh, something somebody came up with as an excuse to kiss somebody else. And then, like, some other people were like, that's a good idea. I don't know. There used to be kissing booths. Yeah. Like, high school bazaars would have kissing booths. Where, like, the... Is that what they called your dances? (laughs) There were no booths at my dances. (laughs) But it was, it, you know, like fundraisers or, or yeah, you, you get know. the hot girl to sit there, and then you could pay money, and then you get to kiss her. Yeah, fucked up. God, herpes just had to ruin everything, didn't it? God, they, they. Do you think they also had like um, fondle booths where it's just like you can grab this girl's boobs for ten dollars? <laughs> Boy, I whew, maybe. Did they have those at your sock hops? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, we also had junk grabbers, so you could like <laughs> the hot football player would stand there, and you could just grab his junk. Huh. What about like a good like pat on the butt? Could you do that instead? Mm-hmm, but that was a separate booth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's junk grabbers and ass slappers. Yeah. Like the booths are right next <laughs> to one That was another. the name of the bazaar. <laughs> I went to a very progressive high school. Hmm. It sounds deeply erotic. <laughs> and we did this. This was our Christmas uh, festival. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so getting, getting my junk grabbed is, is very festive for me. Would you just hang mistletoe over the the football player's junk? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, and the teachers were a hundred percent approving of it. They're like, as long as we're getting money, because we are underfunded. The football player's just crying <laughs> as, <laughs> as people are grabbing his his tender balls. <laughs> They're all bruised. His ornaments. The next day. <laughs> Looking back on it, uh, probably not the best. It was a different time. Yeah. It was a different time. <laughs> I mean, it was a different century at this point. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, almost. Yeah. Speaking of which, um, New Year's is coming up too, and that means end of a decade. Yeah, the second decade of yeah. this of century. This century, yeah, millennium, I suppose. <sighs> Where does the time go, Ryan? Where does the time go? Um, down a sink, uh, where all the time trolls fashion it into tiny shoes. Time trolls, which they uh clog about in to very fast music until the time is shattered into a billion 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 pieces wow did you just make this up or is this from one of your uh uh stars shows you know or movies either wars or trek <laughs> i'm making a movie i'm writing a script oh so. okay you're paying an early draft gotcha yeah 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 Peter Jackson on board to direct this bad boy? Um, I've sent him a copy, and uh, Fran Walsh sent me back a cease and desist order. <laughs> What's your working title? Um, time Trolls? Ryan and the Time Trolls. <laughs> yeah. God. You're in the movie? Yeah. You're naming the main character after you? Well, it could be a boy or a girl. It doesn't matter. This is like uh, the lady who wrote um, 
Dirty Dancing. Mm-hmm. She's like, it's not about me. It's it, it's not autobiographical. Yes, when I was a teenager, I went to the Catskills for the summer. Yes, I did meet a boy who was a server. <laughs> yes, I did dance with all the help. Like, Is her name Claire and the character's name is Blair? <laughs> <laughs> Brian and the Time Trolls. There you go. Brian and the Trime Trolls. <laughs> Opening for a depleted nog raisin <laughs> uh snow do you like snow matt <laughs> uh yeah i'm pro snow cool cool now that i don't drive like it can snow year round for all the fuck i care yeah what about you hate it hell burn it down <laughs> are you saying that just to be divisive here or do you actually not care for the snow no i've grown uh very hateful <sighs> of snow Really? Yeah. Hateful. Hate it. That's a harsh word. It's gross. Especially it's in gross. this city. Yeah. Makes a mess. Makes your shoes wet. It's cold. This is coming from someone who gargles with nog. Like, <laughs> what? Talking about messy. I can drink nog in 70 degree weather. Oh. <laughs> you drink nog poolside? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds nice. <laughs> Nog that's been warming in the midday sun. <laughs> I want my nog out of a pineapple. <laughs> oh, How about that? Or coconut. You want your nog with some fruity umbrella? Mm-hmm. It, like curdles with the fruit juice? Yeah, I was going to say, this. just something about like egg and dairy that you just don't want when it's hot out. Well, teach his own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Summertime nog. Just... Summertime Nog, opening for <laughs> Brian and the Time Trolls. <laughs> and Will did Nog race. <laughs> Nog's on brand. Nog, Nog is on theme. We're not here to talk about Nog. We're Nog. <laughs> God. This is our 140th episode. It's a lot of episodes. I cannot believe it's taken us this long to honor this director. Well, you know, we had to get Joel Schumacher out of the way first. <laughs> Very important <laughs> gay filmmaker. That's why we made him episode 10. <laughs> no, today we're here to celebrate probably the best gay filmmaker around right now one of them i don't want to say best i was gonna say those are, those are bold words yeah. one of the best yeah i was gonna say pedro Moldovar still making movies as second i said it i was like fuck <laughs> but we're here to talk about todd haynes yeah todd haynes it's how should i put this like his movies are gay but not gay like in the john waters or el Modovar way there's sort of gay in that at least his you know sort of circian melodramas it's about like someone looking at happiness from a distance mm-hmm. which i think is very gay yeah he has a queer sensibility that speaks to us mm-hmm. his movies like they're not gay in like a masculine feminine sort of way they're like gay and just like i don't fit in 
sort of way. Sure, 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 sure. Because if you even go back like far enough to like his Carpenter's movie, yeah, it's not super gay movie, but like I'd be hard pressed to think of a straight man that would do that story. Right. He definitely has a feminine lens, or I don't, I don't even know if that's fair to say, but he, he loves focusing on feminine things and mm-hmm. uh, womanly things. I think he's a very strong feminist. Sure. Um, I think we both are here, too. I would call myself a feminist. Mm-hmm. So he just is always bringing that angle to the table. Mm-hmm. It's hard to put your finger on, necessarily, because he seems to think that women are right for parts that I don't think men would think they're right for. You know, mm. What I'm thinking of right off the bat is Kate Blanchett, and I'm not there. Okay. Because right off the bat, you wouldn't think that she could play Bob Dylan, but she's the best Bob Dylan <laughs> in that movie. Uh-huh. Like, far and away the best. And we'll talk about her in a little bit, but it's almost like a shame that <laughs> other actors tried to play Bob Dylan in that movie (laughs) because everyone else plays to the myth of Bob Dylan and she's the only one that plays him like a human and she looks a lot like him from that era that she was playing specifically and like that movie's a little fragmented and obviously people were probably given different directions for different segments that they were in but Kate Blanchett got his sense of humor, got that he's a human being and not just, you know, this mythological poetic creature. And I don't know, I'd just be hard pressed to think that any other director would think that Kate Blanchett was the right person to play Bob Dylan. Or give her a chance to try it. I think he really believes that women are equals and they should be able to do the same stuff that men do. And their stories deserve airtime. Mm-hmm. And I think, I haven't seen Poison in a long time. But I think we picked his best two movies. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really care for Poison. I think it's actually kind of his weakest movie. Oh, okay. Um, the two we have today are very strong. I think. Yeah. It, well, I mean, if we like, I've seen all of his movies except. Uh, I don't think Dark Waters has gotten a theatrical release in this area yet. But you know, I'm not there as good. But like the Kate Blanchett bits are the best part, and there's like whole other like half or more of a movie around her parts. Mm-hmm. Velvet Goldmine's a lot of fun, but I even think it's kind of fluffy. Like, it's just kind of candy. I got to say, I loved it when I saw it when it first came out. Because it has Ewan McGregor well, naked doing, and kissing Yeah, man. doing gay stuff. I'm like, well, sign me up. One ticket to Velvet Goldmine, please. <laughs> yeah. But then I watched it not too long ago. Yeah, like five or six years ago and was like, this is not as good as I remember. It feels empty and like it's a little too long. I don't know. It just I, it doesn't work for me. Yeah, but the two lead males are so good Ugh. looking. I mean, there's positives to it. Don't get me yeah. wrong. But uh, it just it was a little disappointing on rewatch. I mean, all that said, we've got Safe and Carol here. Yeah, these are the ones that's like two tickets to the double feature of Todd <laughs> Haynes. This is Haynes her way. Just wait till we get our Haynes on. You know, I was trying to think. I was like, what's the catchphrase for Hanes underwear? I was like, I'll look it up later. I never <laughs> did. Yeah, because these kind of capture... They're not two extremes of his sides, I would say. Like, Far From Heaven is definitely him doing the Douglas Cirque melodrama. And it's very hard in that camp. And say something like, uh, uh, the you know, the Bob Dylan movie is very hard in like his more experimental camp. Right. You know, you got 
multiple actors playing one part and some's in black and white and some's in color and some t- they take place at different periods in his life and it's yeah. very fragmented non-chronological so like that's in a, a different camp and i feel like these kind of just like are on either side of that dividing point okay carol's slightly more on the melodrama side sure but not as far as far from heaven and safe is is while still a melodrama like is formally more experimental yes but it's not as it it doesn't chop up the chronology it doesn't play with time and space the way that some of his other movies did like even poison is sort of that way right but it's definitely closer to the experimental stuff straightforward narrative but just of a topic that is very so yeah if you're if you're dividing ton haynes into like experimental and melodrama and like everything's a spectrum on those two things like these two just kind of inhabit either side of that dividing point. Yeah. <laughs> he makes emotional movies, we should say. And I think that these two are two of the strongest in that realm. Well, I want to start digging in. Are you ready to dig in? Yeah, sure. Uh, I want to start with Safe. And I want to start by saying I was dreading rewatching this. Really? The first time I saw it, I felt so uncomfortable and sad and empty at the end of it that I was like I never want to watch this movie again I've huh. never been so strongly affected mm. in a negative way mm. by a movie and there were scenes that still until this rewatch and I think I watched it like 15 years ago for the first time that stuck with me like her uh, on the stretcher after the uh, fumigation scene like that is very harrowing mm-hmm. I still remember her rambling monologue at the end and how uncomfortable it makes me feel mm. the amount of discomfort I felt and this might be some like past misogyny showing where I was like this woman is nuts stop giving her airtime <laughs> uh, and just like kind of hating it but like this time around I loved it okay I thought it was this is maybe his best movie. Okay. Just how he manages to tell a story, a strong feminist story with an, a very meek character who eventually only gets to a point of rambling, you know. So what makes you feel that it's a feminist movie? Well, it's focuses on a character who feels like she's not allowed to take up any space. And at the end of the movie, is it sees her starting to take up that space. Oh. Even if it's in this weird, like, cult. Okay. <laughs> like, and it's so awkward, and she stumbles through it, and it's not great the way she's finding this voice. Mm-hmm. But she's finding a voice, finally. Yeah, it's interesting that, that, that you put it that way, because... When I first watched it, which was probably only about five years ago for the first time, mm-hmm. I noticed that there's just constant shots of her on the edge of the screen. Mm-hmm. Like, there's one scene where she's coming home, and it's right before she finds out that the sofa is black. Right. And she comes home, and it shows her on, like, one side of the living room, and then she walks to the other, and then she walks back to the other, and there's just sort of a slow walk of her going to center frame. But, like, she's not... It, it's almost like the shot is like building to her being center frame because she's just, then there's a big wall. I should say when she walks from like one side to the other, you don't know. She always you see, see her. her through the doorway. Yeah. Yeah. And when I first watched it years ago, I was like, Oh, she's on the, the periphery of her own life. She doesn't even take center frame in her own life, in her own day to day activities. Right. 
And, and when she does, it's when she's having like attacks or, or reactions to things. Right. Cause like when she is center frame, it's like the build up to the couch being the wrong color. It's she's like watching TV and asks for a glass of milk from the, the, uh, housekeeper mm-hmm. or it's when she starts hyperventilating at that party right and like in those scenes like she's front and center you know unambiguously yeah. or when she's in the stretcher i should say but like earlier scenes at the party show her kind of in the background like even behind some people mm-hmm. or divided I, like there's a wall sometimes in the middle yeah uh or when she's like working out at the like aerobics at the gym like she's sort of like in the middle She's, you know, the shot's not focusing on her. It's like, hard to see spot her, her in that in those scenes at first. Yeah, and even in the locker room, she's more off to the side than center frame and things like that. Out of focus, even I think. Sure, she's like in the front of the frame, but she's not in focus. And yeah, I mean, that was one thing that I took away the first time that I watched. It was like in the first half of the movie before she goes out to this like cult farm, <laughs> she's just she's always shot on the periphery in these scenes. Yeah. Yeah, and so I'm real torn, and I think that this is, like, a good thing about this movie, watching it this time. I'm real torn about the cult that she joins, Mm -hmm. because it seems to be benefiting her, but I hate everything about (laughs) what it stands for. I almost wonder, like, is it benefiting her? Like, she seems to be becoming more sensitive to things. Like, you know, not to jump too far ahead, but when her husband goes to, like, kiss her she like recoils like i think it's your cologne well but then that begs the question like was she allergic to her old life or was she actually allergic to these chemicals that's the ambiguity that i really enjoyed this time around because whenever she has a reaction it's like ambiguous as to whether or not it's like the situations that she's in like for example the um baby shower like mm-hmm. is she hating like just being part of this like world or is it because she just ate some dairy ice cream cake mm-hmm. and we find out later that she has a huge reaction to milk so like she's always been like allergic to that mm-hmm. uh you know like is the stress of the color of her couch and trying to find a new one the thing that's tipping her off or is it like the talk radio talking about the end of the world and the like chemicals from the exhaust in the truck in front of her causing her to have the panic attack like it's always one or the other you know like or both it's just ambiguous you never know why she's actually having these reactions yeah and part of me and and i this might be painted because like someone like a friend of a friend did just die recently because he had leukemia Mm -hmm. that went undiagnosed like and he went to the doctor for it and they're like "Mm, nothing wrong here they did blood tests like that we didn't find anything just you know, eat more protein and, you know, exercise and get more sleep. And then, like, four days later, he died. God. So part of me, like, I, I kind of view, like, her going to the doctor's office and, like, the doctor sending her to a psychiatrist as being a little dismissive. Mm-hmm. And part of me this time kind of feels that, like, it's not that she's allergic to the 20th century. It's that she actually has something like leukemia that is undiagnosed and that people just view her because she's a rich white lady that people just think that she's being sensitive. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's something that I definitely thought like while watching it this time I was like okay is that 
I was trying to like find a good correlation as to whenever she has like a coughing attack or her nose bleeds or she ha- uh, has trouble breathing. I was like, is it because she's not getting attention when she wants attention? Is it, you know, superficial stress like the couch isn't the right color and things like that? And I couldn't find a strong correlation until I just kind of thought like maybe this is just really happening to her. Yeah. And maybe I'm searching for this correlation because I think a rich white lady can't have real problems yeah. or real health problems. Or like, a woman in general. Like, right. Like, doesn't have to be a rich white I, woman. I bring this prejudice of the, that like a, a white lady, a rich white lady is delicate, that they need to be handled. So I'm looking for some other reason other than she's just actually sick like i'm looking for something else to explain why she's this way instead of it just might be that there's something undiagnosed they're not testing for yeah and it's difficult to watch because there is a frustration from her husband and from her doctor well xander berkeley's a piece of shit (laughs) like i know and i was like there's moments where it feels like he's trying but for the most part, it feels like he's mostly just like, God, I just want to fuck my wife. Yeah, because he does not give a fuck if she comes or not. Like, No, that's like the first scene of the, the movie. The first scene is like them having sex, and she just like, he finishes up, and he, she just like pats him on the back like a burping a baby. <laughs> yeah, and when he's like, oh, I like what you, what you did with your hair. It's really sexy. And she's like, I have a headache. And he gets pissed and like throws the watch at the bed. I did like, like her perm, by the way. You did, huh? Yeah, I thought it looked good on her. Uh, but perms smell. Oh, do they? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Okay. You get a permanent smells. Oh, yeah. Um. Anyway, but, she, yeah, but he kind of has like a little bit of a baby fit there. Yeah, and like he has like moments. He's not a complete asshole. I'm gonna give him some. some like when he comes up and he's like, "Hey, I was calling you. You didn't answer. I was worried." But like, so and so called wants to switch. You know, carpool. Blah blah blah. And then she has that freak out where she's like, "Who am I? What, what's going on?" And he's that's when he's like, you can see the concern in his eyes. We're in our house. Greg and Carol's house. And that's when he's like, okay, let's take you to the doctor again. Yeah, I'm not saying that he doesn't have, like, you know, basic human empathy. (laughs) But I do kind of just think that he married her for, like, you know, to have a nice sex spot, you know? Yeah, she is his probably second wife because that's not even her son. That's her stepson. Yeah, so two things regarding her, her family marriage situation is that in a more heteronormative movie we would have been like xander berkeley we don't see his face till like they're dining with the clients like 15 minutes into the movie oh really because like that you might see like a glimpse of it as they get out of the car at the very beginning but you don't see it when they're having sex and then we don't go back to xander berkeley the husband until that dinner scene and then it's like another 10 minutes until we find out that they have a son because like i'm thinking in my head like oh this is just Married couple, no kid. Once again, like I'm saying, like oh, she feels hollow in her life. She has no real purpose because she doesn't work. She doesn't have a kid. But then it d- turns out that she does have a kid. Yeah. Well, a stepson. Not that that's any less challenging for a parent. But I'm like, oh, so it's not that. My theory that a woman is incomplete until she has a child. That theory goes out the window. Mm-hmm. But in a more heteronormative movie. I feel like the husband and kid would have been introduced much earlier on, like first scene. Yeah, and we don't really see her being a mother. Never. Like, we don't see her picking the kid up. We don't see her 
helping him with his homework. We don't see she they're rich enough that they have somebody to make their dinner so she's not like cooking for him or anything like that. Like you don't Rory, which I think is the name of the kid, plays a very like backseat role in her life. Yeah. Um Yeah, she's not hands-on with him at all. Like mm-hmm. I think the only thing that he really or that she really says to him, her name being Carol. I know. Uh, <laughs> I, I lost it a little bit when I heard that. Is like when he's reading his report on L.A. based gang violence. Uh-huh. L.A. was the gang capital of America. Rapes, riots, shooting innocent people, slashing throats, arms and legs being dissected were all common sights in the black ghettos of L.A. Why does it have to be so gory? Gory? That's how it really is. Other than that, I don't really remember them talking at all. Yeah. Other than that, he's just a shit to her. He's just like a she's a brat. Rory sucks. Never trust the kids of rich people. That's what I always say. <laughs> yeah. Good. Put that on a bumper sticker. <laughs> There's also like an AIDS element to this movie, like that I appreciate a lot because it's subtle. But like, it's not a mistake that this movie takes place in 1987. And, like, they have that scene pretty early on where she's talking with her friend whose brother died. Mm-hmm. And, like, this the scene that where they're talking, they don't say it, but it's all there where it's like... Listen. No. That's what everyone keeps... Not at all. Because he wasn't married. Right. And it's like, oh, everyone thought he was gay and had AIDS and he died of that. And she's like, no, 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 it's not that. And like, I think he hints at that subtly, too, because there's like it's mostly a black and white kitchen, but they have like those rainbow tea kettles or something off to the side. Oh, so I think that like he's hinting that like this is a gay. Oh, scene. I didn't catch that. OK, but like, you know, AIDS, when it was coming out and as a thing, it was undiagnosable. People didn't know what it was. They just thought it was this weird like cancer that gay people got. There is, like, this element of these things are happening to her. Like, she gets physical things happening to her. Like, she gets nosebleeds. She's, like, can't breathe, hyperventilating. Like, all sorts of these physical things are ha- are happening to her, which aren't deniable. It's I just mean, the cause that they don't know. Yeah, I mean, there is, I think they call it, like, total allergy syndrome or something like that, where, like, your immune system, like, goes crazy at everything. Because I remember reading... A long time ago, I want to say it was some place on the East Coast, but it was like there was like a school, like just like a regular public school, but like all the girls in it started like having fits and spasms and convulsions and like they couldn't figure it out. They're like, well, these girls aren't faking it. Like they're really having it, but like they couldn't figure out why. Yeah. And so it's like this sort of thing does happen. Like it's not super common, but. Like, there are recorded instances of stuff like this happening. It's like, in this example where, there, you know, it was like a school and all the girls got it. It's like, it's really unlikely that they were all faking it to this extent. For sure. Or even that it was like psychosomatic or, or just like a placebo effect of some sort. Like, yeah. you know, something. Folly are many. Yeah. You feel like she's not getting the help she needs. Well, I felt personally, I didn't, I I feel like she wasn't actually, nobody was being really scientific about helping her until she goes to like the allergist Mm -hmm. and they're doing that like spread of things on her arm where it's like, they like would inject her with a tiny bit of something. And then they'd be like, is there a reaction or isn't there a reaction? How soon did it happen? Blah, blah, blah. And it like, we see like the one with milk, she has like a crazy hyperventilating and then they give her a thing and it stops. 
another shot and it stops. And uh, he has that line where he's like, See, we can turn it on and off like a switch. We just don't know how to make it go away. That's the first time I felt that like people were taking her seriously from a medical standpoint. Like that other doctor is a, is a piece of shit. He's he's Ellen's dad, I think, in the oh, TV show Ellen. Okay, uh, but he's just a total piece of shit. He's just like he runs like the most basic checkups, mm-hmm. and then he gets angry when she's still sick. You know, like that's the kind of frustrated doctor that isn't doing their job. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's when and like yeah, his first inclination is to send her to a therapist because he's like, well, obviously she's faking it, and this is like psychosomatic. Part of me is like, well, maybe he doesn't think that she's faking it, but like that she's just stressed and this is stress induced and not necessarily medically induced. Sure. But it's like if you're a medical professional, maybe go that extra mile and be like, I'm also going to run these allergy tests. Like that's the first time it felt like they were actually taking the medical part seriously because that doctor was like uh, when she says, oh, this all started when I did the fruit diet. He's like, stop the fruit diet. You need protein. And while you're at it, uh, try staying off dairy. That's terrible science. Like, that's not medical science. You can't just be like, uh, yeah, and then cut this out too. I don't know. I don't feel, I feel like he did a good job. Dairy is job. hard on the intestines. Well, you know what else is bad? Changing your diet radically. So, uh, maybe. Yeah. Or it could be good if you're eating shit. She just needs more McDonald's in her diet. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Build up those toxins. <laughs> your resistance. Well, yeah, uh, this is the juvenile part of me, but when they were talking about loads a lot oh me too (laughs) (laughs) well that's one of my big questions for you Matt what is your load size sizable it's sizable uh well you know you know me I got a nice noggy load (laughs) and uh yeah no uh, I don't plan on unloading it anytime soon so (laughs) It's totally juvenile of me, but like, yeah, there's just that she's like listening to a recording about like loads and uh, uh, like big loads and unloading and uh, it just tickled me just right. Next up, the load. What is it? Why is it? And what can be done to improve it? No, but like, oh yeah, like all the language with that too, like going clear. That's like, that's Scientology. Yeah. And it's like, see, this is what makes this movie so insidious is like, I do feel like she benefits from going to the cult. And See, I don't I, think the cult is good. I don't think she does benefit from going to the cult. Because was she better off outside of it? I think she was better off like following the allergy doctor. I'm sure there's a better term for that, but because at least then like they were on to something where when she was out in the cult, and, you know, it's not technically a cult, but it's kind of a cult. It is. <laughs> I kind of just felt like it was reinforcing bad behavior. Not that she was doing anything bad necessarily, but let's say, like, okay, so I'm someone who, like, I have allergies from time to time, and it usually appears on my skin. Like, I break out in hives and things. But it's also, like, when I get really stressed out, it also comes out on my skin in the form of, like, hives and whatnot. And it gets to be a vicious circle because then it's, like, even if I'm, like, calm, but, like, I have hives all over my body, 
I'm just like, you know what's stressing me out right now? Hives. Mm, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just my body's reaction to this is making it almost impossible to, like, be calm. Because, like, I will lay still and I can feel them, like, cropping up around my neck and on my face. And, you know, one year around Christmas, I got it real bad where, like, my lips were swelling up and things like that. And, like, that stresses me out. Like, just sitting there remaining calm only works so well. And this, I do think, is sort of the placebo effect of, like, she got it in her head that she was allergic to the 20th century, even though... I personally think that it was like, you know, lupus or leukemia or something undiagnosed. And she may have just been able to deal with it out there because of a sort of placebo effect. Like she thought that she was away from everything causing her problems. So she naturally relaxed or her, her, her body sent endorphins through her and she equated that with getting better. But I don't actually think that being out there actually helped her i think it just made her think that it helped her but isn't that sometimes all you need oh no i'm a big believer in the placebo effect okay yeah like like i feel like maybe if it didn't benefit her medically to go out there she gains or we get the impression that she's starting to gain i don't want to say agency but she starts to gain a control over it like i feel like she's she is taking steps because it feels like before she goes to that place, she is just assuming that everything is happening to her and that like somebody can step in and then fix the problem. But like going to the retreat, there is a certain amount of like, I need to take some responsibility for this too. That's where I think like, this is also like still kind of an AIDS movie where it's like, if you were in the eighties diagnosed with it, there is a certain amount of like, sitting in the hospital being pumped full of poison, hoping that like some cure will come along or fucking going to some retreat and doing yoga all the time and being like, Oh, I actually enjoy my life now. Yeah. I'm going to die, but at least then I've got this quality of life back. Yeah. But I mean, this cult is not a hospice center by any means. Like the second part of your example of like going, doing yoga out in like the fresh air, like this is more akin, like, they're they're making it seem like she has, like, tuberculosis or something like that, where it's, like, all you need to do is, like, you know, go out into, like, nice, clean, fresh air and, and recoup. But it's, like, they sent her to, like, a, you know, a TB center for crazy people. Because it's, like, they're driving up and there's that one woman yelling at them. Go back! You're contaminating this entire area! It's like, okay, calm down, bitch. <laughs> it's one car, and they can drive up to the fence. It, yeah, it also, there's like 10 other cars in the parking yeah. lot yeah, yeah, that yeah. obviously got there not by being pushed. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the dude from the DVD cover of the person like in the full body suit and with like the breathing apparatus. Lester. Lester. Oh, Lester. God damn, I hate Lester. (laughs) It's like, if you need any other sign that this place is not based in any science, it's Lester. Can I just say, I went on the Blu-ray, I watched the um, commentary just on that scene because I was like, what is the deal with Lester? And... 
it's Julianne Moore and Todd Haynes talking and they're just like, oh, here comes Lester. And then they're quiet for a minute. And then he goes, I based Lester off of this person that I knew in New York when I lived there who would just walk by this restaurant when you were having brunch, all wrapped up in like ski gear, walking creepily and look in at you while you walk by. And he's like, yeah, it was really creepy. <laughs> and that's it. He doesn't explain it at all. He's just like, oh, yeah, I wanted to have like, it's almost like he just wanted to have a creepy element to this. Yet, yeah, so Todd Haynes, he got his degree in art school in semiotics. Okay. Which is like the study of like symbols yeah, and things and like signs, that. Yeah, signs, yeah. And so maybe he was just being like glib about Lester, but. I feel like there's got to be more to Lester than that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just he doesn't say any more on the commentary, but uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like yeah. And then this is this is an argument in your favor that she's not getting better because after she sees Lester, that's sort of when she gets the idea that she needs to move into like that igloo area. Like she mm. needs a more confined space. Mm-hmm. Like she she sees Lester and is like. Oh, he's got the right idea, almost. I think when you said, like, she's allergic to her old life, like, there is something to that. Like, she might have just been, like, deeply unfulfilled by the way that society programs women to feel they should marry rich and live in this big house. By the way, maybe I've just lived in apartments for too long. That house seemed cavernous to me. I'm like, who needs all that space? I think that's on purpose to make her look alienated Mm, in her. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, why would you need a sitting area, two sitting areas, and a chair on its own? The ceilings were so high, and I just. I didn't didn't get it. I wouldn't. (laughs) I was like, not for me, thanks. No thanks. And I think that just the cult that she goes to might just be a modicum closer to what she actually wants out of life than to be the the kept housewife and that's what i mean that like while it's problematic she's made a step in the right direction yeah i think she's made a step in a different direction maybe not the right direction because like she could have done something that didn't involve joining a cult (laughs) like i know but like when you're so desperate after trying everything else that's when cults swoop in. That's when they grab you. They go for vulnerable people. Mm-hmm. And she is super vulnerable and ready to believe anything. Well, I mean, at this you point. know, medical problems, like if you're in a serious one, you know, people sign up to do experimental therapy, you know, they'll you know, anything, it whatever the cost, I don't care. Yeah. Like they're willing to try anything and yeah, I just this retreat it's not a hospice center. It's not a tuberculosis rehabilitation center. I mean, it does have elements of like therapy, AA, that sort of thing to it. But ultimately, I think it was doing her more harm than good. Because, yeah, when Xander goes to hug her or kiss her, and she's like, oh, you're, it must be your clone or, or something. I'm like, you're more sensitive to this than ever. But is that because she's been away from her husband and realizing how much she doesn't like him. And she's just not able to get to that point of saying, I don't like you yet. Or Uh, so it's more of an emotionally going clear than actually like cleansing your body of toxins. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And it could just be that she's now realizing that she hates her husband. (laughs) Yeah. 
or she always knew but she just didn't want to take up that space like mm. didn't feel like she could and like this retreat cult is giving her that strength albeit in a roundabout way mm-hmm. by her saying oh no you're a cologne even though he's not wearing any it's a strange sort of empowerment maybe for her i don't know i'm just there's a lot of ambiguity there yeah because the movie does not take a stance one way or the other is she faking it or is this really happening well it's like it's definitely really happening but like as to why it's happening we don't, we don't know. know yeah and the movie is like really intent on not taking a side in the matter yeah you never know. Like whenever she does have a reaction, there's always like a reason it could be a chemical thing. Yeah. Like even the very first one when she's watching TV with the milk, like A, there's milk. B, there's people painting in her kitchen. Mm-hmm. So it's like it could be the chemicals from that, you yeah. know, like uh, or when she gets the perm, she has a nosebleed and it's like all the chemicals are putting in her hair. So it's like it could be that. We don't know. Like mm-hmm. it, the movie never says like purposefully, which makes it frustrating the first time I watched it, which was why i hated it because i was like well obviously she's faking it because mm-hmm. what the fuck is wrong with her but then like when you s- take a step back and actually take her seriously it's like she doesn't know we don't know it's a frustrating experience so that's why she turns to this renwood place because yeah. she's like this feels right to me yeah boy which is but hard like, to watch yeah <laughs> it's, it's just like as an audience member i'm just like nothing about this seems right yeah, because like you don't she, want her to go. She only becomes more sensitive, and she only holds herself away from the rest of the world even more. She starts getting like weird ulcers on her face, and she looks she looks bad by the end of the movie. Yeah, she does. Like that final shot, like you don't look better here. Yeah, yeah. But she's saying that she loves herself. So isn't that like a a step, maybe not in like the physical medical right direction, but in the, uh, you know, being a person direction? Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Maybe I'm just biased because I would go crazy at that cult. (laughs) Like that guy that she made lasagna with. I'm like, get the fuck away from me. I think it's pasta. Pasta, pasta, pasta cheese, pasta sauce. People who try that hard, I'm allergic to. Like, (laughs) I just, I, when people try that hard to like be my friend, like, I just, I shut down so much. Like, I'm, I just want people to be natural around me. Uh Like, uh that's all I want. And like, that guy was trying so hard. I'm like, ugh, don't. Did you notice there was a a earworm of yours in this movie? Uh, get out of my dreams and into my car. Get out of my dreams. When? Uh, I think it was. Oh, I didn't, all I wrote down is out of my dreams with three exclamation points. But there is 100% a scene where the Billy Ocean song is playing. No, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Oh. She's in like a waiting room or something. Or maybe it's when she's like working out the oh. second time. Oh, is it at the salon? Maybe it was at the salon okay. while she was waiting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I did. I really liked the music this time around too. Oh, it's got this Philip Glassy score. Oh no, 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 no that, Carol. That's Carol, yeah. No, this was like electronic, uh, but like it kind of reminded cool me electronic. of Angela 
Battle Lamenti. Yes. Yeah, it, I got a lot of Twin Peaks uh, vibes on it. But it was cool. Like, when she finally goes to the retreat, there is sort of, like, this... I don't know. There's, like, all of a sudden it has, like, a driving beat to it. Like, before it's all kind of amorphous and, like, um, very, like, Twin Peaksy, Or the opening of... Um, Mulholland driving oh, yeah, a little definitely. bit, but then suddenly when she goes to the retreat, there gets it gets a driving beat and it feels like something's happening, like we're moving forward, kind mm-hmm. of. And it's kind of, I don't know, it remind me also of the Sylvester score for Fly the Navigator. Oh, okay. a little bit. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I really liked it this time, though. I appreciated it. Yeah, I mean, the movie as a whole, I liked a lot better this time around than I did previously. But I think it's because. You know, the, f- the first time that I watched it, I, like, tried to assign meaning to different things, and it gave off that vibe that's like, oh, all the pieces are there, you just need to watch for the right things in order to, to piece them together, and this time around, like, I got frustrated trying to piece it together because it still wasn't coming, and I just decided, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe what I'm trying to piece together isn't that at all. Yeah. Like, maybe she's just actually sick, and... She's got grid, you know, before they knew what it was. Yeah. Like or Lyme disease. You see, class, my Lyme disease turned out to be <clears throat> psychosomatic. Does that mean you're crazy? No, that means she was faking it. No, actually it was a little of both. Now when I'm when I watch it this time, I'm like, no, she just has something that like science in nineteen eighty seven couldn't detect for yet, or they didn't know to look for it. Mm-hmm. Or they didn't know how to look for it. I don't want to say it makes the movie easier. But that just makes so much more sense than the other harder things and I, that I was trying to make out of it. And then I just started thinking, I was like, well, maybe it's because she's a rich white lady. Like, she married into wealth. Presumably, we don't know, like, anything about her past. Right. And I think I just brought my prejudices with her that's like, oh, she can't actually be sick because, like, she's going to have good insurance and she'll have access to the best doctors. Yeah. But it's like, she's got nothing wrong with her life. Yeah, her life is fine. She doesn't have to work. She obviously isn't raising her stepkid. Yeah, she's stress-free. The biggest problem in her life is that the sofa that arrived is black instead of teal. And like, I liked the black one better, just I for the record. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, teal couch. It just... It's like seafoam. I mean, good. it matched... It, it went with like her carpet and her lamps, but I don't know. Black goes with everything. I, it, the black looked good. Yeah, I was fine with it. Also, blacks better at hiding stains. Well, certain stains. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. I, I think that it's spo- it's so ambiguous that you could go either way with it. Like, there's a part of me that still thinks that it's all psychosomatic and she's doing it to herself. There's a part of me that thinks that she has a disease that uh, was undiagnosed. Either way, I think the movie works. Mm-hmm. I think the crux of it, though, is that the way she's treated because of of that like and the frustration surrounding the inability of medical science to solve it mm-hmm. and her wanting medical science to just come in and step up and when they can't she has to take matters into her own hands and that involves joining this medical cult and even though it seems to be making her worse physically she is gaining a little bit of confidence in being a human being yeah you know like that that feels like what's more important than whether she's actually sick or not. To me, to me, I'll, okay. I'll say it to me. Yeah, okay. you know, I really liked it this time around, though. And like, it, yeah, it looks good. It's really well framed. Like, this it's, is... it's very intentional. Like every shot seems determined to be this way. Yeah. Like, like I never got the feeling of like, 
you know, uh, well, this is the set that we have to work with. Okay, well, let's figure out how to shoot this. Like everything seems intentional. Yeah. On that uh, DVD extra, they were talking where it's like an interview between Todd Haynes and Julianne Moore. And uh, she says that like one thing that I love, I do as an actress is I always say, can I see the frame and where I'm at in it? And she says, sometimes directors balk at it and they're just like, just do the thing. We'll follow you around. And she's like, well, then I'm kind of the director. Mm. Like, she's like, I need to know what the director has as a vision. Like, what kind of story are you telling? And then I can act through that. And then like Todd Haynes was happy to just be like, here you go. Take a look. And she'd see it and she'd see how uh, Carol was framed and like what kind of story she was telling. And then or he was telling. And then all she had to do, she said all she had to do is act. She just had to have that frame of mind and then go with it. And then like I think like their chemistry really makes this movie fantastic. Yeah. I think like Julia Moore in the wrong hands is bad. <laughs> like I'll just say it. Oh, she, she's been in plenty of bad movies. She can, she can really stink up the screen if like it's a bad director. I th- but, but when she's paired with somebody who knows what they're doing, knows what they want, like she's magic. She's so good. Well, it's like, uh, what is it, in Big Lebowski? Like you're not allowed to change dialogue at all, but like she's just like, I think my character will talk this way. Yeah. And they were fine with the accent that she brought uh-huh. uh, as long as she said like every line as written. Yeah, she's good. She's so young in this too. Yeah, she looks like a child. Oh, baby. Which I mean, yeah, she almost looks younger in this than she did in Shortcuts, which I watched, you know, six, seven which weeks ago. Which is before this. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. It's just magic. And I mean, that final monologue still, like, I watched it twice today because it's just, that's what was written. Like, she, it sounds like she's stuttering and making it up as she goes along, but that's what was written on the page. Hmm. Um, so, good stuff. Yeah. I, like, this doesn't really show off her, like, dialogue chops so much but i have i saw a short film uh that uh she did a samuel beckett monologue oh and she fucking delivered it rapid fire <laughs> um and it's like it's complete with like she has to like laugh periodically and things like that and you know, it was real good like yeah. she like if you give her like you know fucking sheets of dialogue she'll nail it out she can do it yeah she said that uh she can only feel free when she has complete memorization Mm. So she said that in context of that last monologue where she memorized it all. But then when it got to the end of it, she felt like she was forgetting something. She felt like she'd forgot lines and you can see it in her face. It looks like she's, she's like, fuck, I don't remember what comes next, but like there is no more next, Mm. but that's what the character would be thinking. Like they were supposed to be saying something more and there's just nothing else. I don't know what I'm saying. I just (laughs) (laughs) just that I really hated myself before I came here. And, um, so I'm trying to see myself, hopefully, um, more as I am, more, um, more positive, like seeing the pluses. Like, I think it's slowly opening up now, people's minds, like, um, educating and, and AIDS and, um, and other types of diseases, because, because, and it is a disease because it's out there and we just have to be more aware of it um, with make people aware of it and um, even ourselves like uh, going reading labels and and going into buildings really good to hear her talk about acting because she gets deep does she yeah especially with this character and especially when this because this interview was in 2014 so. She's talking about a character that she did 20 years prior. Mm-hmm. 
and to get as in depth and back into like that mindset of like, okay, here's what I was thinking for this. And da, 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 da. it's like, wow, I really respect your work you put into this. Yeah. So. I mean, that's why Todd Haynes keeps calling her back. Yeah. They work well together. Yeah. I like that combo. Mm-hmm. Well, should we take a break? Yeah. I mean, this has been an emotional ride already. <laughs> well, you had another very emotional movie coming up, so. <sighs> Get the tissues ready. Uh, for our loads. <laughs> I finally used the last page in my notepad. <gasps> this is the final one. Yeah. Both Safe and Carol on one page. Wow. How do you feel about that? Oh, a little sad. Maybe one day I'll flip through this and see what I was thinking about what. All right. Let's see if you can uh, figure this one out. Okay. 95 a week equals $778.40 in 2017 money. Times 52 is 4,426.80 a year. Uh, tipping the velvet. <laughs> that is from the apartment because Jack Lemon said how much he makes per week. So I put that into a modern salary. And in, uh, in 2017 money, he would have made. $40,476.80 a year. Wow. That's not very much. Yeah. Okay, give me another one. Her song sucks. Also, Molly Shannon. <laughs> hmm. Molly Shannon and her song sucks. Boy, I don't remember Molly Shannon ever being in a movie that we did. It was just a bit part, which is why it's Molly Shannon exclamation point, because I had also forgotten that she was in this movie. Can you give me a season? Roughly? I can not. Uh, it was your pick. Ah. I don't remember which number of season, but it was definitely the season where we did the most problematic things. Okay. Okay. That's good. Oh, so I think it must have been the uh, the season of franchise things but it was your pick so it wasn't a franchise okay so franchise season i did force majeure muppets take manhattan uh, scorchy and what was my last one for that one oh happiness happiness i did it <laughs> molly shannon oh i do remember yeah molly she shannon. works at, like, in the call center with the <laughs> yep, sister i remember now yep uh-huh all right we'll do one more earn points for drinks of water that's not um Oh, upstream color, is it? Very good. <laughs> all right, all right. Wow, I didn't have to give you any clues on that one. <laughs> well, what about you? Do you have any long lost notes on your phone? <laughs> Someday your shit will mix with mine. Uh, that's Swiss Army Man. Yep. Because <laughs> he goes on to say, like, all of our shit will be mixed together. Mm-hmm. And then that shit will turn into other shit. Okay, here we go. I don't think Kevin and May are going to make it as a couple. Kevin and May? Huh. I'm struggling to even think of a movie where there's like a straight relationship. (laughs) Kevin and May. 
Well, I'll give you another hint, but it'll give it away. Okay. Someone gets thrown into a pool in that movie. Someone gets thrown into a pool? From a six-story building. (laughs) (laughs) Police story. There you go. There you go. Their names were Kevin and May? Well, yeah, someone was named May. Uh, Well, Kevin's the one that I'm confused about. (laughs) Okay, one more. This is my first note. In memory of Jim Henson. Uh, Well, depending on when you switch this, it would either be Muppets Take Manhattan or Dark Crystal. Neither one? No. He was alive for both those movies. In memory of Jim Henson. Yeah. So this is a movie that had some sort of Henson-esque things after he died? Yeah. Uh, Maybe this will help. He, he died in 1990. Yeah, but you know that we've done more movies from <laughs> the 90s and 2000s than anything else. <laughs> so any of those. <laughs> oh, man. Something that had puppets, but from 1991 or later? Mm-hmm. I'm out. I, I'll need a hint. Well, it was a movie that I felt was a little less than Cowabunga. Oh, Secret of the Ooze, <laughs> which is the uh, uh, the name of a... <laughs> the first album by Depleted Nog Raisin. <laughs> that first album's so good. Um, I don't have a pivot. You ready? Do you want to jump into our next movie for this uh, Todd Haynes? Another, the second in our Haynes Her Way, in our two-pack? Just wait till we get our Haynes on you. Well, with Christmas right al- around the corner, we're uh, uh, going to be diving into a Christmas carol sorts mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this is really like a perfect movie to send us into christmas is it a perfect movie i mean it's very christmasy like they go shopping for a christmas tree in the snow and to this... send us into christmas time okay doesn't it make you feel like christmas time when you watch this movie it does yeah it's got that norman rockwell vibe yeah mid to late december feels yeah because the movie kind of feels a little wet a little cold uh, as December typically is. Mm-hmm. But underneath it all, there's some hot, hot lesbian action. <laughs> I mean, it's not like bound, you know. Uh, I rubbed one out. <laughs> you unloaded. <laughs> Just kidding. No, no, this is an emotional movie. It's a, it's a tender, sweet lesbian awakening i love this movie yeah this movie's real good (laughs) it's so so good it's also sort of comforting like i know that there's a lot of like drama in the movie but i just i just feel relaxed a little bit there's no drama around their struggle with gayness this it has that element of a gay movie that we love where it's like there's never a scene where I'm assuming this is Rumi Mara's or Therese's like first lesbian encounter. And there's nothing of her like saying, I shouldn't have done it. What my life, what have I thrown away? She doesn't Mm -hmm. care. She dumps that dude and she's like, good riddance. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She's just like, I've made up my mind. And it's like, yes, 
There's no her going through a Fredericks of Hollywood catalog. No. (laughs) Having an awakening. Carol, you know, at the end when she's at the hearing for her child, she's like, There was a time when I would have done almost anything. I would have locked myself away to keep Brindy with me. What use am I to her, to us, if I'm living against my own grain? She's an unapologetically lesbian. She's like, when she's getting her divorce, she's like, what do you want, Harge? Like, yeah. Sorry. I like puss. You know? like <laughs> So, like, the, the movie, like, it feels like it has real stakes. Like, true, true, the, true, true, the, true. The, the custody battle feels real. Yeah. And, like, like the, the leverage that Harge uses, like, oh, that's so shitty. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm watching it this time, and this isn't to, like, rag on the movie, but I was like, this is a, a movie where everything is resolved because people come to their senses and start acting reasonably. <laughs> Isn't that nice? I love it. But it's like, all right, so there's this custody battle going on and it's like going to get ugly. And she's like, we don't want to take this to court because it'll get ugly and we're not ugly people. That's the end of it. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think it's unresolved. It is unresolved at the it, end. It is unresolved. But it, she, she's so convincing. You know that Harge... Harge has a heart. Yeah. He has to. So that's the deal. I won't, I cannot negotiate anymore. You take it or leave it. But if you leave it, we go to court. And if we go to court, it'll get ugly. And we're not ugly people, Harge. It's like you know that it is resolved. Also, it's like there is an emotional climax because that's the scene where she owns publicly her sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. And she does that, you know, in front of everyone. It's no longer a dirty little secret. It's on the record. Now, what happened with Therese, I want it. And I will not deny it. And yeah, just the way that she's like, if it gets to court, it'll be ugly. And we're not ugly people. And then she walks out and like, that's the end of it. I fucking love that monologue too. It's it's like the give her an Oscar for that alone. Like, so I, there's a couple scenes like I know that uh, the movie's called Carol because it, it is about her, and I didn't like measure the screen time, but it, it feels like Therese Bellavet is technically the star of the movie. Well, the book f- is all told apparently the short story written by Patricia Highsmith, who also did *Talented Mr. Ripley*. Mm-hmm. The story, from my understanding, I haven't read it, is all told from Therese's viewpoint. That, which kind of makes sense. That's that's how I feel like I'm seeing the movie a little bit, mm-hmm. or primarily from from her viewpoint. But fuck, Kate Blanchett, man, what a goddamn actress! Just when they're having like the the clandestine glove lunch, like near the beginning. There's just facial expressions that just wow me. I mean, Todd Haynes is a king of meaningful glances. <laughs> like, and this movie is, God, I was thinking about Rooney, Rooney Mara, Rooney? Rooney. Rooney with an N. Yeah. I was thinking about Rooney Mara's character in this and like. She's not there's... like lots of elbow room Mara. <laughs> Her character is a lot of looking oh yeah meaningfully she's got that cute as a button like deer caught in the headlight thing down oh and Kate Blanchett too like there's a lot of just eye contact between the two of them and you're like something is simmering here well what I noticed this time is how little dialogue there is in the movie like it's not sparse necessarily but they ne- like the word lesbian is never said nope 
if you were to read this just purely on dialogue, I don't think you'd be able to understand the relationship dynamic. Yeah. Everything is done through the framing and how the characters are looking at each other or the phrasing of how they're talking to one another yeah. or just implications of glances and and things like that. Like if this was like a radio play instead, you'd never <laughs> understand that these were lesbians. That would be so boring. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you just hear like a headboard banging. You're like, wait a minute. Where this? What's that? And you just hear like a... <laughs> quality high class pod we have here can't wait to talk to todd haynes now he's gonna be salivating to come on here but no like it, you're right it, like the mo- what makes this movie is the performances and there's the smoldering restraint that they have mm-hmm. like smoldering restraint is the uh name of my new <laughs> bodice ripper novel <laughs> available now in any fred meyer <laughs> it's like carol the character of carol is is 100 percent willing to take her time with therese and like she's got her other shit going on but she's still like you know i have this project of therese like i'm gonna <laughs> bet her one of these days mm-hmm. like because i want to bang her yeah she's but got she's a light like, on for therese yeah she's like i'm gonna take my time whatever therese needs to do like that first lunch that you were talking about with the gloves like i get the impression that therese went not because she was attracted to carol but because she thought that carol was just a really cool woman <laughs> Yeah. She's like, I don't know. I just like this lady. I think I'm going to go. And like, there's that news uh, when she's in the newspaper office with that one dude, and he's like, All of us, you know, we have affinities for people. We like certain people. You like certain people, right? Sometimes. And you don't like others. And you don't know why you are attracted to some people and not others. The only thing you really know is you either are attracted or you're not. He wasn't talking about sexually necessarily it's just like hey sometimes you want to photograph these people and sometimes you don't so i think that she took that in her head as like yeah she's cool i'm interested (laughs) in this woman i'm Mm -hmm. gonna go to lunch with her Mm -hmm. and like i can't pinpoint when it flips but like after a while she's just like no i want i want to get down yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah it didn't occur to me till like well over halfway into the movie i'm like oh there's an age discrepancy between these two yeah like for some reason that almost seemed like a non-issue because it's never brought up no one says like oh you got this hot young thing like blah 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 blah. like it's a non-issue not even sarah paulson yeah she's just like get it (laughs) yeah even though sarah paulson should be like the jaded lover like ex-lover but no they've maintained their friendship i don't like obviously they like you know scissored or whatever it is <laughs> but they've maintained their friendship since then and they even talk about how sarah paulson's going after some redhead who owns a steakhouse i'm fine with it <laughs> <laughs> no and like i think that's different than like how oftentimes gay men are depicted especially exes mm-hmm. like and especially like in pre-stonewall era like they're often depicted as people who hate each other and like this time it's like we're actually seeing these two gay people who had sex didn't work out and uh they're friends still mm-hmm. like they they realize that like we need to stick together yeah like it's just a different not what you're used to seeing in in that situation it also seems a lot 
thornier than most gay relationships because uh, Abby's also the godmother of Rindy. Yeah. I'm like, oh, God, just shitting where you eat here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's problematic, but also, like, I get it. You want to keep your friends and family close mm, in, in mm. this instance. So That's, like, borderline incestuous, though. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I forgive it though. Yeah, like it makes it makes sense for Carol. Seems like that's what she would do. I mean, one thing that helps this movie feel Christmassy is it is just littered with green. Like everything in the movie is that Christmas green. I really love the colors of this. The look of this movie is superb. Mm-hmm. You can almost feel the texture of the fabrics that they're wearing, and Carol wears some Luke's fabric, <laughs> like. I want to touch what she's wearing all the time. Kate Blanchett will never be underdressed, overdressed. No one will ever overdress her. You know, we talked about this in Ocean's 8, but like she was the best dressed one no yeah. matter what she was wearing in yeah. that. And sort of the same thing here. It is that sort of like classic, like I know that Art Deco doesn't like really extend itself to fashion, but like if Art Deco was in fashion, it's kind of what she was wearing. It's very, like, posh 50s. Yeah. yeah. Looks... I mean, they fucking lived in that castle. Oh, my God. <laughs> the house was ridiculous. But, no, she looks good. She looks real good. She's wearing fur right at the beginning, like, in the department store. Yeah. yeah there's and, some... like, fabric, like, the clothes, the ladies' clothes play an important part in this movie. Because, like, there's this femininity element to it that, like, the movie sort of, like, luxuriates and... When they're first going on that first trip up to her house and you see uh, Therese like just looking at her fur jacket and then her leather gloves and just sort of, and there's like condensation on the windows in the car. <laughs> You're just like, mm, oh, mm-hmm. message here is I'm hot because of her clothes. <laughs> like, it's like right there. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of interesting framing because there's a scene where Therese and Carol are driving and it almost gets a little dreamy because there's like a shot of Carol's face that could not be while she was driving. It must have just been in an image in Teresa's head oh. as they were driving. Because like Carol's driving the car and there's just a shot of like Carol like looking kindly at Therese. Right. And I'm like, this just must be what she's envisioning in her head a little bit. Well, and there's also like a scene when they're driving and uh, you can tell that he's running the film backwards because the smoke is going into the smokestacks of like these industrial areas. Oh. Yeah. I didn't notice that. I've seen this movie like three or four times now. And oh, like, wow. This is only my second time. It's always like caught me off guard because I'm like, am I imagining that or is it actually happening? And this time I was, I'm sure that mm. he's running it backwards. And I think it just, yeah, adds to that, like, dreamy romantic quality where it feels like this can't be real. Yeah. Even the food they order is green. Like, it's cream spinach. Oh, yeah. And martini with olives. That's not a good recipe for (laughs) a healthy bowel movement later. No? Cream spinach over poached eggs with a martini? (laughs) I don't know. That sounds gassy to me. Oh, I just, yeah, maybe. I think it'll just sleuth right through you, though. Uh, maybe she's got some fiber sups in her purse there. Uh, yeah. Never mention that they're lesbians. No one ever says it. Yeah, no, like, I was, like, up until they have sex, like, if you didn't know that they were lesbians, like, you would think, like, oh, something's going on between these two. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, if you were just listening to this movie and not watching it, I don't think you would realize that it was a romantic interest between these two. Yeah. Unlike most movies of this ilk, they're not punished for being gay. I mean, Carol kind of is. I mean, they try and punish her by, like, taking custody away. Right, but it sounds like she, even though she doesn't get full custody like she wants, she still gets to see her daughter. Like, let's assume that that speech worked, because why wouldn't it? Yeah, so she got regular visits, supervised or unsupervised, is undetermined, but yeah. yeah. And they they get to be together, probably, it seems like. That scene, in particular, like... It, it, did you ever see Brief Encounter? No. It's like Brief Encounter. Okay. <laughs> uh, Brief Encounter is, is much more sad than this movie, though. But it's like, you know, she tells Therese, you know, I love you. And then they're interrupted and things have to keep moving. And then, yeah, Therese goes to that party and then she decides, no, this isn't for me. I'm going to go. Like, Carrie Brownstein is not <laughs> Kate Blanchett. <laughs> And, and you know what? Tooth. She's right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Carrie, but I'm I'm with Rooney on this one. Yeah, I don't know. There, there's something about Kate Blanchett. Like Rooney Mara's great in this movie. I don't want to diminish her performance. Yeah, but when you're put up against Kate Blanchett, like the premier actress of our age, mm. like there is no better actress out there right now than Kate Blanchett. Like. Meryl Streep can't go from playing the villain in a Thor movie to playing, you know, a lesbian in a Todd Haynes melodrama. Like, that's just not her breadth. Sure. But yet, Kate Blanchett can play a Nazi. (laughs) She can play a war goddess. And then she can play a rock club owner. (laughs) Yeah, a rock club owner slash thief. Yeah. I don't know. Kate Blanchett, she's got the range. Boy, so yeah, this is our chance to really gush on her because we we did an Ocean's Eight and we we gave her some love there. She was in uh, the talented Mr. Ripley, also supporting role though. Yeah, but also the Patricia Highsmith. Oh yeah, other one. True, Oddly, true, true. she's been in both. But um, yeah, when she takes the lead, you can sit back. You don't have to do anything because you know that you're in good hands because she will command the screen. She also publicly thanked Woody Allen at like the height of that whole thing. Ah, But she's so good in Blue Jasmine. She's so good in Blue Jasmine. Unlike someone, say Meryl Streep, who is a fabulous actress, is in very few things that I actually want to watch. She-Devil aside, I just, I I can't think of too many Meryl Streep movies that I'm angling for. Well, maybe Kate's just in that phase of her career that say Meryl was in like late 80s, early 90s, or something like that. Yeah, it's like, okay, Meryl Streep, we got Death Becomes Her, we've got Angels in America, and we've got Devil Wears Prada, but other than those things, like, how many times do I want to watch the French lieutenant's woman or wife or whatever it is? Like, yeah. Or Out of Africa, or... Zero. <laughs> you know, and I just feel like Kate Blanchett takes more interesting roles more often like playing the villain in Indiana Jones or in a Thor movie. Like these are things outside of where you think an actress of this caliber would go, Mm -hmm. but she does it. Well, she was the best part of that fucking Indiana Jones train wreck. (laughs) Okay. I'll buy that. (laughs) 
if you want to say anything was good about it. Yeah, and and, and I mean, like we were saying with Julia Moore and Todd Haynes, I think that there's probably like a chemistry between Kate Blanchett and Todd Haynes too, because there just seems to be, I don't know, she just she kind of comes alive in these fantastic clothes in this setting, like. I don't know. She's she's such a strong character that is driven by desire, but doesn't lose sight of other things in her life that are important. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. she knows her kid is important. What's the kid's name? Rindy. Rindy. What's her first name? Quickly, Rindy. Name's not Rindy, Joe. Uh, uh, there's so many interesting names in yeah. this. Like Carol's like a bland name compared to Hard Rindy and, and oh, Therese Bellavent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But even Carol aired. That's, mm, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, no, she she's a mom who who loves Rindy and does not want to lose her. But she still has desires, mm-hmm. you know. And like in a gay movie, I think it's important to emphasize the fact that desire will win out. Mm-hmm. And like she is very focused on making sure that that is not to the detriment of her being able to see her daughter. Yeah. And she compromises at the end, but it's still in benefit to her daughter. Cause she says like, now I'm no martyr. I have no clue what is best for me, but I do know. And I feel it in my bones. What is best for my daughter. Now I want visits with her arch. I don't care if they're supervised. I just want them to be regular. That's the bottom line. It's like she's going to bend over backwards so far because of the time and place and the things that are, you know, he's holding over her as long as she can have her daughter. I love that idea that, like, even though she's still ruled by her desire, she doesn't lose sight of the other things in her life that are important. Yeah. And I like that it it circles back to, like, the morality clause and how sort of absurd that is. Mm Mm-hmm. Because when it first comes up, like the morality clause, she even says, like, is that right? And he's like, well, it doesn't matter if it's right. It's legal. Also, they're suggesting similar associations with, well, they're alleging evidence of a pattern of behavior. And, you know, at the end, you know, before she gives that monologue, they bring up the morality clause again. And she's like, what's moral about keeping me from my daughter? And I like that it's brought up, like, her behavior in like a moral lens because it's like, okay, is what she's doing actually immoral, but is taking her daughter who clearly loves her, like didn't want to be away from her at Christmas. She's a great mom. Oh yeah. When fucking Harge comes, he's like, we're going to Palm Springs for Christmas. And he's drunk, like to drive her to the airport. And it's like Harge. Yeah. And the way that Carol, makes it okay for the daughter i'm like that is tough yeah that would be rough right there yeah but she like fucking puts on her game face and like makes it work like hides all the ugliness from her daughter there's room for you in the car mommy you can come with us no darling i wish i could no but sometimes mommies and daddies just decide there isn't enough room for them in the same place at the same time. And anyway, mommy has to stay here and make sure Santa's elf doesn't give away your presents to another little girl. You wouldn't want that, would you? No. You get the implication that Harge wasn't always a bad guy. 
and that if Carol wasn't a lesbian, that they probably could have made it work. Right, because, like, so there's that scene where she's holding the daughter, and I can't remember exactly where it is, but, like, she's holding her daughter, and then the the maid is, like, giving her, like, side-eye over it. And, you know, that's a problem with, like, homosexuality, especially in this time, is that everyone assumed that we were pedophiles. Yeah. So, like, there is this, like angle that Harge sees like like if the maid told him like well you know she is one of those and the godmother uh sarah paulson has been coming around a lot like he just sees this angle where he can win Mm -hmm. and so he plays that card and you know she sees that she's kind of in the societal you know situation at the time she's outplayed and so like she just has to do what she can to make sure she can see her daughter like Harge seems like He's doing it out of, not out of malice, but just out of, like, wanting to win more than anything. I just get that it's out of frustration that, like, he liked his life and that, and I mean, this is something that can be tough for straight people. It's like, why can't you just be straight? Like, why can't you just fake it, you know? Or is it really, like, that important? Like, they straight people, like, don't understand it a lot of the time. Yeah. And that's sort of where I kind of feel hard is, is like he's struggling to understand what Carol is because she's not like a bull dyke. It's not like they cast Rosie O'Donnell for this role. <laughs> you know, if you think of like what is, you know, your classic 1952 woman of good stock mm-hmm. like that's what Kate Blanchett is embodying yeah so there's like a disconnect like how could someone who was raised right probably went to all the finest finishing schools and married well and we had this wonderful daughter and you know even gay people like they can have like satisfactory sex but it's just like the emotional connection won't be there to him he probably just can't reconcile those things like he just doesn't understand it and so he's doing this because, you know, he thinks it'll fix her or, or just push her into tolerating it. Or yeah. he just doesn't understand what it is. Well, there's that scene when he comes back from Palm Beach and he's, uh, you know, beating down uh, Sarah Paulson's character's door. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's just like, where is she? I know she's here, blah, blah, blah. But it ends with him finally just being like, I love her. And I love Sarah Paulson's line because she just goes, I can't help you with that. She doesn't love you in that way and there's nothing i can do to convince her yeah and there's nothing you can do to convince her like that is your problem <laughs> yeah and uh i just like that no one's apologizing for her gayness it doesn't matter how much straight shit you throw at it this is the fact and like no one's trying to change her like she's still she goes to therapy but, like, the therapy just seems to make her more resolute in her game. She's like, this is what I am, and I can't be a good mom if I'm pretending I'm not this. You know, it just seems to, like, help her, like, really solidify that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just so refreshing to see characters not apologize for being gay, you know? Yeah. They're like, this is what I desire, and I'm going to go for it. And that's what makes it so hot. <laughs> It is a romance, though. It's like a fucking smoldering, just like, oh, my God, I can't wait for them to bone down. <laughs> really? So, I so, All right, there's a, there's a disconnect for you and I there. That's like... <laughs> 
you know, by the time they actually got to the quote unquote boning down, uh, like it was all fine, but I, I read it as more romantic than smoldering. I feel like they both were like wet the whole Their car trip. Their panties dropped <laughs> due to the weight of the condensation. That's <laughs> what you think. The whole road trip, they were like, oh my fucking God. I mean, they took their sweet time getting to the boning aspect of it all. Because, like, that wasn't the first motel that they stopped in. I know! Okay, like I said, I've seen this movie a couple times now. There were several times I was like, oh, this is where the sex scene happens. And it, they kept moving on. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, it wasn't that one? Oh, it wasn't that one? <laughs> like, when is yeah. it going to happen? It's not until the dude is wire-bugging their apartment. In Waterloo, Iowa, yeah. which is like... Whatever, I'll accept They it. even laugh at it. They're like, yeah. we're in Waterloo. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard of anything more terrible? <laughs> what town is this again? This. Waterloo. <laughs> Isn't that awful? God, that's just like, that's just like throwing bait to the gaze. <laughs> <laughs> like the movie's so comforting. And like, even though there is like the custody battle, the romance seems to go in such a lovely, straightforward manner that you almost don't think that there's going to be much of a conflict. Yeah, and it's not, like, political. Like, sometimes gay movies like this, especially which takes place... the Vice Squad after them or something. Yeah, or, like, you just know what the conflict is going to be already, and it's going to have something to do with, like, shame. And th- this movie doesn't have that. Yeah, because even that private detective that, like, spies on him, you don't get the sense that he's doing it out of any sense of... Ma- well, I think he even says, like, it's nothing personal. Yeah. Like, I'm just doing my job. He doesn't even seem homophobic. He could be. Yeah, he could be. But it doesn't show. He also seemed kind of cute. I'd have sex with him. Oh, okay. Even after he turns out to be a shitbag, but... Mm, well, I'll be spying on you guys then. <laughs> but I like, you know, Carol immediately goes for the gun. <laughs> like yeah. she figures out what happened she's like I'm gonna kill him I'm gonna kill him but then you know gun doesn't have any bullets in it but I like how instead of trying to kill the detective she then tries to shoot the recording device I was like ah oh, that's using your <laughs> noggin there you go that's using your nog your shriveled nog <laughs> your, your, your shriveled nog raisin <laughs> there is like a certain amount of weight placed on the femininity of this this movie is unapologetically feminine i'm just Mm -hmm. gonna say and so like there's that scene where they're in one hotel somewhere along the line and therese is like smelling her clothes and just like going through her stuff and it's like this is not a man's suitcase like Mm. it's all soft flowy fabrics um there's like a lipstick in there and things like that and you're just like this is so womanly and you know like when she picks up that sweater and smells it you're like that smelled like a woman like, that's not going to be a manly scent coming yeah, off of kind of looks there. like your suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it's just so... There's an unapologetically feminine quality to this movie that I appreciate, too. Because, like, not just... Like, he's not just telling a gay story. He's telling a gay woman story. Mm-hmm. And it feels like this movie is only for gays <laughs> at that point. Like, because I don't but think... But I almost feel like I don't it's know more any straight for... to like this movie. Yeah, but I also don't know any, like, lesbians that like it. I I mean, to be fair, I don't know a lot of lesbians just in general. But, like, I feel like this is more, like, a gay man's idea of, like, of what two women would do if they were in a relationship. Maybe. 
I mean, not to say that lesbians aren't girly. I'm sure lesbian and Porsche do lots of girly shit. Lesbian and Porsche? <laughs> Good one, Matt. <laughs> she has a name. It's Helen. it's good to laugh again (laughs) but you know what i mean (laughs) where it seems like almost like too girly or feminine like this is sure like a bodice ripper but like gender role reversal but only for one of the characters like does that make any sense <laughs> uh oh the bubbles went off his nose there go, okay. okay I'm just thinking about the lesbian in Porsche show <laughs> oh, that's funny okay <laughs> I mean that's what I mean like I don't know straight people who like this movie like I've, I haven't met one and it feels like it seems like a movie that women should be excited about even straight women because it's like two female leads who fall in love and are supportive and like blah 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 they win but it's like I feel like the gay element pushes women away like I just I, I don't I, I want to like say like Todd Haynes movies I don't know if he is actually like people love him as much as we do like I feel like he needs championing still a little bit because not to say that this is as radical as Thelma and Louise, but this does have a Thelma and Louise element to it where it almost seems like if they weren't lesbians, if they were just two straight ladies trying to make it on their own in a man's world, it may have gotten more attention than it did. Part of me also thinks like, you know, Thelma and Louise is a little bit more rock and roll than this one. Like this is, a little bit more leisurely like it it, it this movie just kind of like lets you sit there with it a little yeah. bit i mean safe was the same way like it let you just like sit with julianne moore for a lot of the movie and it, it's that struggle that like straight men don't want to back a so overtly feminine movie right and it's like those are the power brokers in Hollywood. So it's like I honestly thought like when I watched this, I was like, this is gonna get a lot of Oscar noms because like Kate Blanchett is so good in this and this is so well directed and Carter Burwell's score is so good in this. 
And then I think it got like two nominations or something like that. It got six. It got six. Oh, okay. was shut out. Didn't win a one. Yeah. I'm glad you brought this up because I looked. It wasn't nominated for Best Picture. And this was like, you know, when they were still doing expanded stuff. Mm-hmm. And this was the year that Spotlight fucking won. Oh, your least favorite and, movie of any <laughs> Oscar well, year. Well, I just, when I talk about movies that are cinematic, Spotlight feels like it should be like an HBO made thing that you could watch at home on your tv mm-hmm. maybe even lifetime there mm-hmm. i said it mm-hmm. but it's just fine like it's the story's fine like but there's nothing about it that screams you need to see this in the cinema <laughs> but like this movie is so sumptuous and so big and the like almost operatic that like you ha- like it screams I am filmed. The opening fucking shot on the looking at the grade, it's that huge wonder, and then it oh, comes up yeah. and it moves around, and it's just like, this begs you to see it on a big screen. And that, like, Philip Glassy score. Yeah. Know, it, it's not Philip Glass, but someone it's else. It's Carter Burwell. Carter Burwell, yeah. yeah. And, like, it just begs to be seen on a big screen. like And, like, the fabrics, like I'm saying, like, they look like you can touch them, like you know how they feel just watching them. Like, that, to me, is what we should be rewarding you know like this is also the same year as the revenant which like you know it won more awards than than this but like that movie is telling a story that we've seen man versus nature is not interesting or man fighting with another thing to me anymore like i still love that then i want to say yeah i was gonna say the movie formally the movie is very impressive it's a great movie i really i I enjoyed i recommend it but I think that, like, when we're talking about movies that need to be rewarded, that story's been told. This one is new. Carol is something we have not seen before. I feel like that's the kind of thing that needs to be championed more than, you know... Spotlight. Yeah. Like, it's just so dull. Yeah, whenever you get a chance to dunk on Spotlight, you do. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I mean, this was also the same year as Mad Max Fury Road, oh, which okay. is a fantastic movie yeah. and full of spectacle. Yeah. And it deserves a lot of uh, accolades, too. But, like, the tones of these are two different things, are, are different. But, like, I, like, there's those, to me, like, of that year are, like, two different types of the cinematic that sure. I want to see more of. Yeah. Um, one is like spectacle based Mad Max and then this one is more like um, emotion based yeah human drama yeah Yeah. and just the fact that it didn't get any of the awards it was nominated for is really frustrating for me because yeah it doesn't scream at you it's quiet this is a quiet movie Mm -hmm. but it's so moving and so satisfying and like if you sit down with it it's magic <laughs> i really love this movie that's all <laughs> yeah uh no no, no. like I, I'm, I'm right there with you because even though todd haynes had a like a full career he'd been making movies like you know the karen carpenter story came out in the mid 80s late yeah, 80s mid late 80s yeah poison came out i think i want to say 88 92 oh it was oh, 92 okay 91 92 yeah he'd been making movies for like 20 25 years at this point and this is like the first movie that was really this explicitly gay. This was like the first time that like he had just buckled down and made a movie about gay people. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it, it was sort of disappointing that he just got like shut out. Yeah, it's frustrating. And I know that like the Academy Awards aren't everything. But it's a matter of like publicity around something. It's like when a movie like this gets a lot of attention... That's like when Moonlight won Best Picture, like 
Moonlight's not my favorite movie ever, but it's nice to see that story get that level of press. Exactly, yeah. And it was, yeah, a little upsetting when Carol... Yeah, it got, okay, so it got six nominations, but didn't win anything. It's like your misogyny is showing at that point. Yeah. You know? Like, because it's a story about men, Moonlight's fine, but then, like, you have this story about women, mm-hmm. and suddenly it's not the same. Yeah. It's frustrating, because, like... I consider myself a feminist, and when I see things like that, I just get pissed. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, what are other people not seeing in this that I am? It, it's also one of those things, like, I, I'm always quick to, like, defend my gender, because I am one, but God, guys, you always let me down. <laughs> like, constantly. Yeah. And it, it's shit like this, that it's like, because it's a female-centric piece of art, like, you can't like, they feel like they can't get too passionate about it. Yeah, because masculinity is so fragile. Yeah. I see that sort of thing in, like, all walks of life that it's, like, it can't be taken seriously or it can't be gotten too excited about if it's female-centric or female-driven in some way. Yeah. You know, Brokeback Mountain was a huge big deal, and everyone was like, this is the great gay love story. But guess what? They get punished. People die for being gay in that movie. So, yeah, I'm sure straight people love it. Like... <laughs> That seems like an acceptable answer to a gay romance. This one, that none, there's none of that. And I think that like people aren't ready, specifically straight people, aren't ready to reward that. So the punishment of gas from their creamed spinach and poached eggs with a gin martini. That's what was causing the condensation in the windows. <laughs> That's how the detective was able to trail them. <laughs> I crossed he, seven he, states. Just... He, 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 he traced the scent back to the hotel and like just put his ear up to every door listening for the giveaway. Boy, Carol and Therese are nasty. <laughs> Someone needs to recut that uh, that love, the love sequence, making love sequence that oh, they have with no. lots of farts. <laughs> no, because that love making sequence is so tender and sweet. No, it's really good. It's, it's hot too. I like also okay so yeah watching it this time I like I I maybe I noticed this before but I I didn't realize like the implication of it is like they have that love making scene and then the next day that's when the uh, private investigator tapes them and they find out about it but then they go back and so they're in Chicago again and um, you know Rooney Mara is starting to get into the separate bed and Carol's like you don't have to sleep over there and she comes over and they like start cuddling. And then the next thing is like they're naked or Rooney Mara's naked. Therese is naked. And you're just like, oh, they fucked again. Yeah. And it's like. Well, that's cat's out of the bag now. Yeah. Like I like that <laughs> attitude of, of, you know, look, we've got, we're still here. Yeah. We're still in this hotel room. I'm still wet for you. Like, let's just. It's like fucking before the end of the world. Yeah. Like, it's if you're going to go down, go down fucking. It's sweet almost that they fucked a second time. <laughs> That the trauma and stress did not uh, sway their libido. Yeah, I like that. A lot of things about this movie make me happy, even though, like, the score makes you want to think that it's not a happy movie. Yeah. This, or maybe I'm just conditioned because of the hours or something, but, like... It's like the uh, uh, minimalism with, like, the clarinet obligato. Like, it kind of... It brings you down a little bit, but not totally down. It just kind of mellows you out a little bit. It's just full of all these like unresolved cadences, or it's just like it's constantly 
flowing and in flux mm-hmm. like it never resolves you're just like oh I'm so horny now <laughs> <laughs> you get horny over the strangest things <laughs> well but like it like plays into this idea of like will they get to completion will they you know like i don't know that's how lesbians work right it's all about the build-up i don't know i'll have to watch more of the lesbian and porsche lesbians chime in (laughs) well have we i got derailed (laughs) 40 minutes ago now we've dissected carol Uh, yeah i think so uh let me check my notes here real quick i mean the movie ends in like glances meaningful looks the king of meaningful looks. There's some meaningful looks in safe too. Oh yeah, like lots. Slow push-ins on meaningful looks, which on paper sounds easy. But you know, to actually get those the correct look out of your players can be easier said than done. Yeah, it's a talent that uh, only Todd Haynes has these days, anyway. Best gay American filmmaker? Okay, I'll go with that. I will say, I've chosen more women directors than you. Uh, I'd like to see the data to back that up, please. How many women directors have you chosen? I don't know. How many of you? Five. <laughs> you just made that up. What makes you think that? So you got Claire Denis. Yeah. That's the end of my list. Uh, Sarah Paulson. Sarah Polly. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what movie did she direct? Okay. Sarah Polly. Yeah. Uh, that woman who directed Siren in the Dark. Mm. Uh, the woman who directed Queen of Versailles. Um, oh, was it a woman that directed? Nina Paley, Cetus Sings the Blues. Boom. Five. There. I'm done. Okay, let me see, let me see, let me see. Uh, uh, This isn't looking good. (laughs) Fine! (laughs) So out of 140 movies, we've done seven, maybe eight (laughs) female directors. Uh, that's a loss net loss i guess <laughs> shallow victory but i'll take it okay because i'm petty <laughs> okay all right you win you win you win well anyway any other final thoughts on todd haynes because boy i just uh i think he's really cool and he makes good movies yeah i almost feel like he is on the cusp of making something big he just hasn't done it yet yeah i feel like I'm with you. I feel like his best work is yet to come. Yeah. He's going to make something real universal. I almost don't feel like necessarily his best, but I think he is going to make something sort of like John Waters did with Hairspray, Mm. where it has mainstream appeal and still appeals to his fans. Yeah. You know, it might not be his best work, but it'll garner a lot of acclaim. There's there's something in that with Todd Haynes somewhere somewhere down the way. You know it's coming. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, love you, Todd. Come on the pod. Yeah, anytime. Well, Matt, would you like to hear what's coming up? Uh, oh, I guess first we should say this: we're gonna take a break after yeah. this of yeah. our regular episodes because it's the end of the year. 
and then in January we're just doing bonus content like mm-hmm. we did last year mm-hmm. because everyone knows Matt is an accountant and um, numbers are hard in January. <laughs> so things like W2s and 1099s and year end quarterly taxes are all due and in your January. Z97s and your R46s like all that's there. So uh-huh. he's got a lot to deal with on his plate. But would you like to hear what happens after all that's done? Yes, I would. It's my pick. Yeah, I know. I've been threatening to do this to you for a I'm while. not waiting to hear what you are going to tell me that I'm going to pick for you. <laughs> I'm doing a theme, Matt, and I think you know what that theme's going to be. The whole season? The whole fucking season. Oh, my God. I'm doing meta movies. You just exhausted your canon of meta movies this last season. No, that was the warm up. That was the amuse bouche of meta movies. Three out of the four movies you picked were meta, and that was just the warm up. Mm-hmm. I got lots. Uh, so I'm going to start it off, and I know this is really going to bring them back after a long break. <laughs> uh, I'm going to start them off with the movie that started me interested in meta movies. I'm going to do Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Oh, you know, I've never seen that one. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, we've got um, Gary Oldman. And uh, Tim Roth, Tim Roth, playing side characters in Hamlet. Basically, it really got me thinking about what meta is, what it means, and it's a real good launch pad, I think, for the rest of the season. Okay, it's a good movie too. So, okay, yeah, I've never seen it. Yeah, do you know Hamlet, the story of Hamlet? Mm-hmm. Cool, because guess what? I watched the Kenneth Branagh version oh, to God. prepare myself to watch this movie when I was in college. Big mistake. Oh, yeah. Doesn't add shit. (laughs) So just watch the movie on its own. You really don't need to know much about Hamlet to enjoy the movie. Anyway, cool. I'm glad I'm picking something that you've never seen. Yeah, I like that Maybe that'll bring them back. (laughs) Okay. Stay tuned because we have lots of stuff, good stuff coming up in January too. Yeah, yeah, we do. Do you want to plug our junk uh, and get the fuck out of here? Yes, please. Follow us on Twitter at XRatedMovies. Follow us on Facebook at RatedXMovies. Uh, send us an email, x.rated.movies at gmail.com. Go to our website, xratedmovies.com. And give us a review. Give us some stars. Do what you have to do that is free to make us feel like what we're doing is important and worthy of our time. Yes, please. Uh, we love you. Okay. So I'm seeing like a month or so for Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. See you next year. See you next decade. <gasps> Bye. Bye.